Life's a Mitch. G'day, guys. Welcome back. It's episode 34 of Life's a Mitch. So last time, I spoke to one of my friends, Chris, who uh, you know we, we, we talked about for a long time. We, we spoke about all things same-sex relationships and how hard it is in the 21st century growing up in Australia and some of the ridicule that is attached to that. It was quite quite a powerful story. And Chris is one of my dearest friends and he absolutely cracks me up. And uh, we spoke a little bit about his business with his partner, Andrew. So check him out, last week's bio, and I'm sure that they would be able to do some consultancy work for you. So this week, another treat. We're going international once again. And uh, this collaboration is quite unique because... It sort of results back to my appearance on Fake Doctors, Real Friends, you know, humble brag, meeting Turk and JD. And um, this lady is another podcast creator, content creator, and due to a heartbreaking story is how it was created, but I can't do it justice. So I'd like to introduce Chelsea. Would you like to uh, tell us a bit about your pod and tell us a bit about how you come across me and um, yeah, tell us a bit about how things are in the u.s and yeah well lady i don't know we'll, we'll go with that we'll stick with that <laughs> thunderous applause <laughs> um so i my name is chelsea please i am from the hudson valley region of new york here in the u.s i hope my accent is not too annoying to anybody <laughs> are, you, are you serious um, i'm look, look who you're speaking to <laughs> Um, but I'm a huge fan of Scrubs, have been since I was uh, in high school. I just love the show. So when Fake Doctors Real Friends, the pod started um, happening, I've just I've been a loyal listener. And Mitch did one of my favorite guest segments ever. It was hilarious. I went back and looked up his appearance on an Australian game show. And um it was just too funny. I could not not reach out to him, especially when he mentioned that he was launching his own podcast about good stories. And uh, so we connected from there, which was super exciting because Mitch was very responsive right away and, and super enjoyable to talk to. Um, sadly, I lost my father in December of 2020, only two days before Christmas to his addiction uh, to alcohol. He, I think, had been passed away for about three days, actually, before I knew and we found him. But he had been struggling for a very long time. And uh, he was my best friend in the entire world. So that was an extraordinarily heartbreaking loss and led me to start my own podcast, the Sticky Eddie podcast, which is named after my dad, who was a professional drummer. And he used the name Ski, like drumsticks. Um, well done. And so the podcast has been happening from there. <laughs> I'm telling stories or I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing subjects who also struggle with addiction or who are the children of addicts themselves. And it's been emotional, but it's been a, a good journey so far. I feel like I've been guided here and uh, so far so good. I, I, I can't complain. I honestly wish I weren't doing it. I would give anything to have time with my dad back, but it's been enjoyable so far in that I feel like I'm, I'm making a difference. Fair enough. So I had to hit re-record there because we, we had some technical issues, but I'll edit that out later. So yeah. So one, first things first, I'm very sorry to hear about your father. Um, it's uh, at, at such a young age too, because you know you you know I've heard a few of your episodes, and your dad it wasn't even that old. I mean, and you yourself, like you're a, you're a young parent, and you've got a, a son, and um, you know that must have had the absolute uh, most negative effects on both yourself, your son, and your husband as well. So, very sorry to hear about Mister Mister Eddie. That's um that's that's truly tragic. And you know the premise of your podcast talking about connectivity and talking about all things addiction i think is a pretty powerful thing to do and to want to share that message and to connect others who have been through a traumatic experience like that i, I tip my hat to you or in this case my beanie because it's um it takes a strong person to take such a negative thing and to try and create some content based out of something so negative so i commend you sincerely i really do so much i appreciate that um truly i do because there are days mitch where i definitely don't even want to get out of bed to be honest and making the podcast has been 
the only thing really that's driving me forward. Um, I, my dad was super young. He was 69. He was two months shy of his 70th birthday. Um, I, myself, I'm 35 and my son is six. Um, my son and my dad were also extraordinarily close. He was an amazing grandfather. So just to, um, you know, explore the duality of someone who can be an amazing parent and amazing friend and, and all of these other multifaceted qualities that he had, and then just suffer in this way that is so debilitating and degrading. Um, no one wants to see their hero inebriated or falling all over themselves or this person that is usually very collected acting inappropriately you know, it's scary. So, but I thank you so much. It's, uh, it's definitely a tough journey. Some days, some days more so than others. No, that's Yeah. And, um, you know, it's stereotypes aside, I'm Australian and, you know, we know that the, the stereotype for being an alcoholic Australian, all that sort of thing. Like I get that. And when you actually like, when you have drinks with your friends and you're drunk, stumbling home from a bar, it's funny, but it gets to a point where, you see people that are avid users of a narcotic or alcohol or, you know, addictions like things like social media or things like, I don't know, I know some people that are addicted to dating apps, you know, things like this. And when you see, as you, as you describe what your father was like, you see these great people that we look up to be consumed by a substance or something. And it just makes you go, how, speak about that duality, how can someone so awesome falls so far and you know that that expression comes to mind you can't see what happens behind closed doors um and i think when it comes to things like addiction you know the brain is is capable of all sorts of weird and wonderful things and for cross wires to happen and um you know for him to ultimately meet his demise at the hands of of alcohol is is uh is something that's it's it's an evil thing it really is i know a guy i used to work with a guy his name is marty and i was a a road worker for a time for the state government here for building roads. And uh, Marty was, he would often have time off work because he was always inebriated. He was he introduced himself as the guy who could get drunk twice in one day. And oh my God. Um, he, um, so for one thing that used to happen was we'd work on doing a culvert. So for those of you who don't know what a culvert is, big stormwater drains, um, concreting at the, where water would go outlet into a drain essentially. So what he used to do, is hide these beers in the culvert and we'd have our morning tea break at 9.30 and the culvert was always that cold. He'd go and crack one and it was always ready to go. It was always ice cold, he'd say. And um, it cost him his marriage. It cost him his relationship with his kids. Wow. And um, ultimately, uh, he, he perished. Uh, not even, it, he was like, I think didn't even think he was 60. So, you know, at the end of the day, his only companion was the brown bottle. Um, or as we call them in Australia, large beers, we call them long necks. And the boys at work would make him fun of him, calling him Captain Longneck. And it, it's sad, you know. Oh, God. And you see, you know, you get to see, like, like Marty was a kind guy, you know. He was a, a simple man, but he was kind enough. And it was, it's a shame because he was very young. He had kids in their 20s. and you It's know. so sad when, when you have, like, yeah. It is sad. You keep cutting it's it. It's always the nicest people, the most gregarious people, the people who seem to have still... You want to pause for a second? Yeah, okay. You keep cutting out again. Yeah. See, see, it was quite sad to to see him go, but yeah. So you know, during your your podcast journey thus far, have you come across any people that have been able to relate to your to your content you've made so far in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. So I, I'm I am sorry to hear about your friend, and just for a quick second, going back to what you were saying, that's the most frustrating thing, is the duality of being such an amazing person and then doing these things that to you might seem humorous or like you're kind of getting away with some with something or you're pulling something over on someone and in the end you're just hurting yourself and you're destroying your family um because they love you we love you and we want you to stick around but what's what's so interesting is I have a guest actually coming up uh, next Tuesday and this person is incredible. The conversation blew me away. So they are someone 
who grew up with a heroin, uh, two parents addicted to heroin and a sister who is also now addicted to heroin. Somehow this person escaped becoming addicted to a substance altogether because instead of turning it into a situation where their devastation brought them closer to addiction, he actually became everybody's caretaker and instead just pivoted into someone who just felt like maybe if I do the best I can in life, it will turn everything around and everyone won't feel like they have to escape into, you know, heroin abuse. And the things that he's told me that he has seen since, you know, the age where you really start remembering things. So he was telling me that one of his earliest memories um, is actually reaching up to open a door and opening the door and seeing his dad in his bedroom tying off and preparing for a heroin injection. And he said, I probably would not even remembered it because I had to be maybe three or four years old to the point where the, you know, I was small, the doorknob was definitely like, I still had to reach up to grab it. But he said, I opened the door and my dad's reaction was so dramatic and just theatrical at being caught in this position that the memory stuck with me for the rest of my life and kind of, you know, set the tone for how he responded to addiction. You become hyper aware you, you just become to the point where I used to tell my dad, I can tell that you're drunk by the inflection in the way you say hello when you answer the phone. You know, it, it just became these little signals that I would look out for constantly. And I could tell when he was trying to hide it. But it got to the point toward the end of my father's life where, you know, he'd be waking up at four or five o'clock in the morning and have a swig of whiskey the way some people have a swig of mouthwash. It just became, he was too dependent on the substance. And yes, as you mentioned before, the brain does incredible things to make you feel like you have to depend on this in order to survive. Mm. You, you just literally get to the point where you cannot function without it. And that goes back to your friend, you know, hiding his beer the way that he did. He kind of, you know, he might think it's humorous or he might think again, like he's getting away with something. Um, but it's just devastating to see, especially as a young child. It's just, it's horrific. It is. Um, and it's not just the, see, addiction has, from what I understand, back to my days at school, it's a tertiary effect. So the first effect is obviously the person who's going through it, the immediate effect. Then that ripple effect, the second stage is the immediate relationships around them, spousal, uh, kids, parents, whoever. And third, is a can come in the form of like say if the mother is pregnant mm -hmm. okay, and she's addicted to a narcotic right. in, this, in this example i use is methamphetamines so my friends are carers of four foster children and this mother wow. this mother uh, had seven children uh, my friends look after three of the siblings and even to this day the youngest one is about seven years old now and whilst he was an infant, he would have withdrawal type symptoms. Like he would be screaming in agony. He would have muscle spasms. He would have, oh my God. Um, even to this day, he's got um, issues with um, like sensory issues with like, where you would think he would be intellectually speech wise oh. coordination. Otherwise he should be further ahead than what he is. Oh and so, you know, that's the third ripple effect. It's the, it's the upcoming generation. So, addiction so this mother was a meth addict she's now in uh, most of the kids all the kids are now out in foster care because she's incapable of looking after her. anyways so oh. and the two older daughters that my friends have as well as the, the son obviously won't name them but um you know there's i remember when the so that there's three kids the kids raised from they're about 11 uh nine and six or seven anyway so the nine-year-old the second girl when she was five she would clench her fist together like this and couldn't mm. release the anger. So she would have these sensory issues and you could see how frustrated it was in the face. She was in the face. I lived in this house for six months and, um, you know, I went through training and, and some of the things you'd have to look out for in the young, like the young children. And you, you gotta, you gotta like empathize for how difficult it would be for these, these young kids in life, you know, all because someone's that fucking selfish yeah. to take narcotics and stuff. 
and be pregnant. So for me, um, you see the ongoing effects. So I've seen people suffer from alcoholism. I have a cousin who is also like a, a dependent drug addict who asks my nan for money sometimes. And I think it's an absolute joke. My nan's a pensioner, you know, gets a very minimal wage from the government. And right. um, I don't know, like, it's just, you see, I don't know. It's, it's, it's both frustrating and it's, it's both like you, you try to help, but you cannot help those who won't help themselves. And that's the most frustrating part. You could extend the longest olive branch in the world, but if they don't take hold of it, then what can you do? You there? I've lost you. I lost you there. I lost you. Your, your nan is a pensioner and she doesn't have the money to be giving to a selfish person who is just looking for, you know, any escape. That problem seems to also be quite prominent here in the States. Um, A lot of people here, depending on your situation, you can apply for governmental support. But what's interesting is, and I've I've spoken about this on on my own show as well, we have, um, you know, homeless shelters and government assistance, not only for people who are just, you know, have lost their way in life and unfortunately find themselves homeless, but a lot of addicted people too will end up in this situation because they cannot obviously hold down a job. Um, Their family has kicked them out of the house. So they go into the shelter system or they go into the rehabilitation system and instead of looking for help, still find substance to lean on. And that is what drives me insane. I, I wish that there were, and this is something that I would also like to explore more of um, on the show, but I wish that there were a way to improve these systems because it does not seem like it is specific to Australia. It doesn't seem like it's specific to the United States. It's an addiction issue. We are not fundamentally supporting these people enough. We are not giving them the resources that they truly need. Mm. I think that You know, I mean, my dad had a lot of love from his family because my situation is unique in that, you know, I cared about my person, you know, because my dad was an amazing person. He was an incredibly talented drummer. He was a wonderful parent. You know, my parents were married for a very long time. He did well in life outside of his addiction. There are so many people that I feel as though if they had more of that support, they might be able to turn it around, but instead you could find yourself in a homeless shelter for the night and you're still able to score heroin or pills or find, you know, a little bottle of something somewhere. Mm. There's almost no escape for these people who think that they're trying to escape something. And that it, it drives me nuts. The lack of support. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things like, you know, it's kind of like I made a, a reference to, uh, one of my bitchy with Mitchies actually a few weeks ago, <laughs> it was, it was an issue that I raised. It's like seeing your friend or family member go through mental illness issues like anxiety, depression, and to be forced to stay on the sideline, you want it, you know, you can physically do more, but your hands are tired and that. And I think most humans, you know, believe in the sanctity of life, you know, we all want to help out our fellow man, woman, or trans person that, you know, we might come across. And the issue you speak about with lack of uh, funding and lack of uh, understanding, you know, it's, you know, it's a worldwide problem, you know, it's a, it's first, the second and third world issues. And, um, you know, we, every country um, that I've ever been to, every country that I know of would have stories of victims of, um, dependence on substances and anyway so i think the the way to tackle it is you need people that have been through it so people that have been able to kick their addiction tell their stories and you know you need a sympathetic government you'd need to collect you know studies you would need to you know take it on holistically it could be done it definitely could be done and i i I absolutely agree with you 110 percent that you know if there was more you know more work to that could be done you know there's over here okay so we take the addiction of smoking okay so i don't know what it's like in the us but over here they've had um like awareness campaigns like 
on the packets now they show like they were showing images of people suffering from like lung cancer, uh, right. throat cancer, all this stuff. And then what they're doing now is all packages are universally the same. It just says the name of the brand on it and they're all a gray color. So they're okay. trying, they're, they're trying different things. They're spending millions upon millions of dollars of quit, of quit um, like advertisements on TV and radio. So they're trying to do their best, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, about, it's similar. Sorry. It's similar here. They stopped selling them um, in a lot of like smaller retailers, like local pharmacies won't sell them anymore. They made them ridiculously expensive um, for anyone who might be. Yeah, they're like 14 US dollars a pack, which is just extreme. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty much the same. They're doing anything and everything they can to make it unattractive. And here with that, I mean, we've been doing it for quite some time. I think it started probably in the late 90s, as far as I can recall. We used to have just really disgusting images on TV about people with, you know, tracheotomies and breathing machines and all sorts of horrible things that would happen to you from your tobacco abuse. But what, so my question to you is what are some of the stigma surrounding alcohol and narcotic abuse in Australia? You mentioned earlier that it's kind of like, oh, you know, some people get drunk and it's funny. But one of the things I'm, I'm very careful about on my show is I, I don't understand fully what it is like to be addicted. Thankfully, I don't suffer in that way, but I don't want to pass judgment on anyone because there are, it's so multifaceted. You can be an extraordinary human being and sadly have this problem. So what are some of the stigma in Australia? Is it, is it some, do you just, is it kind of like that person becomes a joke or is it something where there are resources available? It depends where you are. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be like in a fairly, fairly populated area, but there are regional towns of further West. You, oh, so I'm on the East coast of Australia. I'm mm-hmm. near the biggest, I'm about an hour and a half North of uh, the biggest capital city in Australia, Sydney. And where I am, there's a, there's a big town called Newcastle. It's, you know, so you got, resources around but essentially um I'll, so i'll take the indigenous population of australia for example so in a place called darwin which is northern the northern territory's capital city um it's known that the stereotype is that there are aboriginal communities that uh they have they are faced with negative connotations because you know the, the people's opinion is that they're all alcoholics and they're all this and that and all these negative things like you know they're sufferers of uh, substance abuse things like so are you familiar with the term nang do you know what a nang is no okay so a nang i'll read it out to you okay mm-hmm. hang on let me just australian with mitch pardon <laughs> me for the terrible accent <laughs> a nang is a street name given to a small canister of nitrous oxide or laughing gas so essentially to get high a lot of these communities not just the indigenous but also like um, younger communities as well they've taken to sniffing things like deodorant cans or sniffing things like paint cans or nang and nang is a nitrous oxide can and we talk about the stigma so the stigma is there is a younger drinking age here than what there is there in the u.s the legal drinking age here is 18 and from that you get the stereotype of like in the western world australians are all alcoholics and all we do is ride kangaroos to work i can (laughs) i can definitely tell you that I can ride my kangaroo soberly and do it just fine. So it's all good. But like what we do is it's, it's perceived like as a, as a white Australian man, if I were to have an issue like that, there are, especially in regional communities, it would be perceived as being weak because, you know, there's a, there's an expression called she'll be right. And what that means is that, you know, oh, she'll be right, mate. Just shake it off and get on with your day. It's, it's more oh, or less yeah. harden up, get on with it. Don't be such a, like we call it man being a sook. Yeah. Yeah. You're equivalent to man up. We call people like that a sook. You know, it's all in your head. Get on with it. And there are scenarios, there are um, ads being run by the government, like Are You Okay Day? So, what that is, so once a year, Are You Okay? Check in with your mates, see how they're all going it's to try and promote the positive spin of mental health issues. Right. And over the last, so in my decade, I'm in my, in my, in my lifetime, I'm in my 30s now. And in my lifetime, what I've noticed is that 
understanding about things like narcotics and addiction and things like mental health are directly correlated. So as the more awareness happens, things like the detrimental issues of smoking on the body, mental health issues, you know. So what the government has done has created a society where it's trying to get it to say, it's okay to speak up and say, I need help. It's it's not weak to speak. And to try these uh, campaigns like they do in the US where they put the prices of things so high that they right. want to make the average person not be able to do it. So the idea is to eventually flush out everyone's system because it's costing, it costs the, the government billions upon billions of dollars every year in terms of like bad health and, you know, the, the right. impact it has to the medical system. So health there are insurance. Yeah, for yeah, sure. health insurances and, you know, the, the ongoing issues with like surgeries and everything on top of that. So I guess you would say the stigma is, is that it's changing slowly, but mm-hmm. we could be doing a whole lot better. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not funny, but it's interesting, the parallels between the US and Australia in this way. So we just finished up um, May being Mental Health Awareness Month. And almost every day on my Instagram, I tried to post something that had to do with mental health, health awareness. Um, It sucks to me that it's only a month or it's only are you okay day or whatever the case, pick up the phone anytime you damn well feel like it. And if you have a feeling that someone is not doing well, or you just want to say hi to your friend, do it. Um, what's sad about all of this, and we, we can't really do much to help it, but what's very sad is COVID drove us all kind of into our own respective little caves. You know, we, yeah, we stayed away from each other for over a year. I know Australia has a a much better grip on beating back the virus um, than the U.S. has had until recently. But now, you know, vaccines are available here in a widespread fashion. Everybody is uh, having them, thankfully, and, and starting to move forward with life. But at the same time, you know, that was a big factor in losing my dad. He did fairly well for the summer of 2020. Um, You know, we spent as much time outdoors with him as we could. And he was so cute. He figured out how to um, FaceTime essentially on his phone with my son so that he could stay connected. And that was a big thing. Um, But when November came and everybody realized that we wouldn't be able to have Thanksgiving together and we wouldn't be able to likely have the holidays together indoors, it just drove him into this really deep depression. And once you are there, especially as an addict, it is very hard to dig your way out of. Definitely. And that's something, you know, it, we were all in our, our corners. It was very hard to stay connected. There's not a lot that you can do for someone when you're very far away. You know, you need the interpersonal connection. And then the other thing is, and I don't know if it's the same there as it is here, but therapy and, and mental health awareness, therapy is so expensive here. It is ridiculous. Even if you have good health insurance, you are still looking at a copay or an out-of-pocket cost of $150 a session. And, yeah, oh, I, God. From what it's, I understand. The, it's like that there. No, our medical system is much better than the U.S. Oh, gosh. So I hope so. We can have... <laughs> So there are places that the average Australian can reach out to like Beyond Blue or the Black Dog Institute. So the term Black Dog means the thoughts of suicide. And um, so there are free services that I could ring them now and have a free chat with a licensed counsellor. But also the biggest differences are, one, we have a tenth of the population you guys have. So our our current population is something around the 27 million mark. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So we have what's called Medicare which is, from what I understand, it's kind of like a super-vamped version of Obamacare. Um, Right. And we we do have that here. Yeah. So we get, um, so say if I go to the medical doctor, just a general practitioner, I have a consultation, some bulk bill, which means you don't pay a cent, or I pay, like, say if I go, I get charged $80 and $40 of that I get rebated. So that's the Medicare levy. Right. So, you know, it's 
we have access to things more readily, but we have a tenth of the population. So you can't really, pardon me, you can't really compare it. No. And so here in the States with Medicare and Medicaid, these are things often that are reserved um, for people on a, a different spectrum. You know, it depends on, it goes based on what you make, what, what your wage is at work, or if you are a retired senior and you no longer actively, you know, pitch into your healthcare through your job. So that's when you become enrolled in Medicare or Medicaid and, and things are supposed to be made a little bit easier. But why should it have to be either you meet a certain level of poverty or you're a senior? There's, so what about the in-between here is the problem? Um, and by the time you are a senior, often you are so set in your ways you are not going to make that change. You are not going to reach out for help as easily. Right. Um, so we, ha we have a big problem here with, with the median population. Um, those who are, you know, let's say between the ages of 21 and 50, who are not, you know, quite yet of retirement age and, and who are still maybe not making what they are going to make in their thirties when they're more established. Um, so it's very problematic. That is definitely something that I aim to explore more and try to affect more change in. And I liked what you said earlier that often, you know, the best people to help others who suffer with an addiction are the people who have been there themselves. And yeah. you will find that a lot in the shelter system and the recovery system. These are uh, former addicts because they know they have that hypervigilance as well. Just the same way that a child of an addict will, will constantly be hypervigilant and looking for signs of, of abuse. So will the former addict who is now working in the system and trying to help others recover. But it's a vicious cycle. It, it's definitely a vicious cycle. I, I wish that we could find a faster way to break it. <laughs> it's yeah, very I, frustrating. I, I, I can imagine it would be, especially given your circumstances, and, yeah. you know, and your experiences and stuff. So like, you know, talking about all these, these differences. So like, we don't celebrate essentially Thanksgiving here. It's, it's not a thing. Like for us, mm -hmm. we have holidays like Anzac day, which is Australian, New Zealand army Corps. We celebrate um, and reconcile and remember all those who have given their lives in battle and served through the years. So individual holidays like um, Remembrance Day, the eleventh day, eleventh hour, eleventh month, we will remember them. It's another war. Hey. It's another war style um, celebration that we have. You know, we have the Queen's birthday holiday in June because we are a Commonwealth country. So these different similarities, uh, sorry, hey. these differences that we have, even though we're both well established. Western culture countries, these are uh, these differences that we have, and also the different sort of um, minorities and the different groups of people. So we don't have a large African American community. We have, mm. um, you know, a lot of Indigenous Australians, which is great. You know, I, I love coming across all different styles of people, and and you know, so it's you see negative uh, stigmas of, uh, around certain demographics. Yeah. And, you know, like it takes one, one story to create such a negative vibe. Take, for example, some of my friends are Muslim, practice the Muslim faith. They're the best people in the world. Yeah. And these non-educated, bigoted people will just assume they'll go, oh, why are you friends with a Muslim person? Don't they want to, don't they want to hurt you? It's like, no, they're not extremists, you idiot. Oh, it, no. It's, it's so disgusting. I and hate like, that. That's, so this median age that we talk about, it always, it's going to come down to education. It's going to come down to acceptance and wanting to help yourself as well. And I think right. credible people, experienced people that have gone through this stuff, campaign, take it to the, take it to parliament or I don't know what parliament. Congress. 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 <laughs> is that they call Congress over there? Yeah. And Congress is, is what it is. Yeah. Right to your local member, right to your local senator or whoever represents you. Absolutely. And, and you know, take it to them. And if they are, you know, if they're supposed to be, supporting the people like that's what they were voted in for and that's where it all starts so you know. i love i love that you're saying that because the younger generation I, I like to include myself in the younger generation still um i refuse to age but we really do 
need to be more cognizant of who our local representatives are, what the structure of our local government is, because no matter where you are in the world, it all starts with your immediate radius. Are there shelter policies available in your neighborhood? Where do you go if someone is threatening suicide? Um, how do you get help or recovery if you need it? These are all things that start at a local governmental level, like you just mentioned. And it would be wonderful if everybody looked up their local policies. And if there's something that you don't like, listen, fortunately, I live in a neighborhood right now where I have um, the town supervisor is in my cell phone. He advertises. A, can you explain to us? What, what is a town supervisor? What is that? Right. So I, um, I live in a neighborhood that is relatively, it's a close-knit community. And so the town supervisor's responsibility is kind of like, it's pretty much in the title. So this is an elected official in my community, and he is responsible for the overseeing of everything that makes the town run. So his policies run, um, he oversees sanitation. He oversees the education system um, in our community, Uh, things of that nature, if there need to be more stop signs. So it could be anything from, you know, the mundane everyday things, or it could be on a larger scale where he communicates with not only our school district, but he'll work with other school districts in in other communities around New York State Um, so that everybody's policies are, are a little bit more uniform. But he is a person who, you know, I had a couple of issues in the community when we first moved in and I didn't know who to reach out to. So I appealed to my local town hall to see who the person was who would be responsible for the complaint that I was making. And our uh, supervisor, his name is Paul Feiner. He was wonderful. It's not often that you find an elected official at a lower level, like in your town or at a higher level, like in your state or your, you know, national government, who will give you their cell phone number, who will be available for you around the clock whenever you need. That is what we need more of in our elected officials, not only here in the United States, but worldwide. People just need to understand that you were elected by your citizens, So you need to be available to your citizens. And if they are in crisis, you need to address that. You can't sit high up on your horse in your white castle on the hill and just, you know, rain down from there. That's not how it works. It needs to be much more interpersonal. That's right. We um, So our equivalent to town supervisors are our local members. So Mm -hmm. we have every state is divided into council areas. So I live in the Cessnock Council region. I used to work for Maitland Council. So you've got two two pieces of government locally. So you, your local member is your representative to state parliament and your mm-hmm. councillors and your, so they are representatives of your local council. So I have councillors on Cessnock Council. There is the town mayor and there is the local member for the, I live in the Hunter Valley region. So I my local okay. member is the, Hunter Valley representative who represents us at state level and the greater Hunter region is our representative at federal parliament. And so, you know, we're three levels of parliament and you can get in contact with these people via the council's website and email them. I've never really had an issue to have to go to one, but they are accessible through things like social media and things like this. And yeah, you can go along to things. So our, equivalent to a town hall is a um, council chambers. Everything's referred Mm -hmm. to as council chambers. So, you know, it's similar, like politics here is just known as different terminology than there. Um, We have our... It sounds so much classier though. (laughs) (laughs) When you say it. (laughs) Your your big parties, your Democrats and your Republicans. Republicans, yeah. We have the Labor Party and the Liberal National Party. Um, So, you know, it's the same in New Zealand as well. So, but anyways, I'm not going to open up a whole bag of worms to talk politics because I'm no, far, I'm far uneducated about such things. <laughs> but there's a little rundown into, you know, local Australian politics and how it works. I guess. <sighs> so we're covering all the issues here today. Um, so it's cool. Like, it, and what I what I like doing about this podcast, and you'll see it as well, is that the more exposure you get, 
the more chance you'll have to heal the community around you. And like, you know, all it takes is that one person to collaborate with, they share it, say on their social media, someone will see it and go, that resonates with me. Maybe I will, maybe I will get in touch with Chelsea and talk to her about my issues or my family's issues. So I hope they do. (laughs) And me too. Like I, my, so mine's obviously a bit different about storytelling. And the idea is it's purely entertainment. And if I can make someone giggle or carry on like an absolute. You do. (laughs) I do my best, but it's hard to make funny content when we're talking about such a serious issue. But um, I'll tell you one thing about another guy I work with. So name's Stu. He's long since retired. And he um, he's a, he's a bit of a larger guy. And he had to he had an addiction to caffeine and oh, wow. specifically uh, sugar as well. So cans of Coca-Cola, he'd have three or four a day. <laughs> and the doctor said, look, you need to lose weight. You've got diabetes. So he went cold turkey which means from just everything. stopped dead away. Yeah. yeah. So he, um, he went from three cans to nothing and his body went into withdrawal type symptoms because he, yeah. was, he didn't wean himself off. And as a result of it, the first day he was off the cans of Coke straight to hospital. Um, <gasps> oh we had to, we had to call him an ambulance. It was, it was pretty hectic. And um, so this, this, uh, this total thing called addiction. It affects so many things. Yeah. And I think as a kid, I was obsessed, obsessed with playing video games, yeah. specifically single player video games that you can play storyline through. That's where right. the, that's where my love of storytelling comes from. It was, you know, if I find a good series, if I can watch the whole thing, I will. If I can listen to an audio book, I'll listen to as much of it as I can. And I, that's still, I still think I, I'm semi addicted to um, like character development in hearing Role people's playing. Stories. Yeah. Yeah, Listen, well, it's it's so easy to fall into that. It's an it's a form of escapism, like any other type of addiction. And caffeine addiction, Mitch, is this, it sounds maybe silly to people who are like, oh, you know, it's just a cup of coffee. Caffeine is a drug. People overlook is. that. It's it sounds kind of silly, but yeah, but you can definitely become addicted and soda. I mean, I don't know how it is there, but soda here, I, oh, I stay away. It's, it's, it's a horrific thing. Um, when you really break down the ingredients, you think about what's in it and they don't want to get all preachy. Um, That's okay. But, like yeah. you know, all these sorts of fake. So there was a, there's a, um, a newspaper article written, wrote, written, come out sort of circa 2019. It was the development of caffeine addiction intake in younger young individuals under 18 so and then the stomach and the medical implications because of it so wow cans of mother red bull um rockstar energy drinks being drank by young teenagers thus you know rotting their guts their teeth um making them skip meals so you know there is going to be a detrimental long-term health effect if they keep down that path so addiction is also the slow turning knife that could ultimately be someone's undoing. For example, if you're addicted to caffeine over time, too much caffeine will thin your blood. It can rot your insides out, rot your mm-hmm. teeth, and do all sorts of weird, wonderful things. You know, obviously, we know long-term effects of smoking, lung cancer, emphysema, all sorts of cancers. Like that's just two examples of many. You know, long-term alcohol ones. Liver disease. Sounds really sexy, kids. You, you might want to skip. <laughs> Let's skip that Coca-Cola at dinner. Please. Here we are at uh, Mitch and Chelsea's <laughs> School of Disappointment. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> any any visual aids that we want? <laughs> well, no, because we're on audio only. Um, oh yeah. But I, I do want to say honestly, Mitch, it's a sad subject for obvious reasons. But I have had some laughs on my show. Um, I'm sitting here and I'm chuckling at at things that you're saying. I don't want to be, you know, bummer central. And I definitely don't want everybody to think that I'm the Debbie Downer. I actually, you know, my dad had a wonderful sense of humor. We were, we were very dry, sarcastic people. We're big fans of Family Guy and, you know, we we loved (laughs) We just love to poke fun at things. And um, you like the? Did you like the Muppets? I loved the Muppets that were featured on Sesame Street mostly. Hi, hi, the Frog here. <laughs> now tell me more about that, Chelsea. Yay! Is it easy being being green, Kermit? It is. It's quite good. So sometimes 
people might say that I'm addicted to ham, but all I say is, oh my God, Miss Piggy, move on. Yay. That made no sense. <laughs> no, but I loved it. And that's the- I am. Um, I know two. Part. I know two guys that are addicted to Scooby snacks. Oh, Scoob! I'm scared, Scoob. Ruh-roh. Not like Zoinks. Pass me a Scooby snack, man. <laughs> Ruby Doo. See, like you could. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's just blown out everyone's ear holes. Like <laughs> like Zoinks. What listeners should know is that it's 6:22 in the morning in New York, and this is how I'm starting my day, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um. That actually hurts. It cheers me up. It hurts. Oh, it's when you when you have to do the Kermit voice. I don't know if you can see me, but my Adam's apple comes Very up here. Very technical. So it's like, oh look. So you you stretch you like, hi ho, Kermit the Frog here. Now tell me, what what other positive things have you has come out of your podcast? Well, and look, and your shoulders. Oh, are going oh man, into that's, it. that hurts. It's like a full body thing that's happening to you. Hi-ho. I love that. That's a real commitment. That it, it it I saw a um a documentary on voice acting and it's a full time like people just think oh yeah we go oh, into a microphone no, you speak it's, huge. it's ab- like it's physical like throwing yourself in the acting it's quite like impressive look at what Robin Williams used to do he would yep. bounce around his sound booth like there was no getting him to sit still and definitely he was you know he embodied every character that he spoke into so we'll just yeah, we'll, we'll sure. talk about Robin Williams for a second there Less. so we'll talk about okay talk about like the duality of people Mm-hmm. One of the greatest, greatest entertainers of the last 50 years, easily. One of the funniest. My mom's loved Robin Williams. And I did too. Like I was, my first uh, memory of Robin Williams is I watched, uh, I think, Flubber. And then yeah. re- realized that he was the voice of the genie. Because I was Not a kid. his best, but super hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. And the things like toys. And then he'd released. Yeah. Um, and then my mum's like, oh, if you like that, watch this. Watch she show me Good Morning Vietnam and Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, God, Mrs. Doubtfire, Mrs. Doubtfire and Jeannie, I, I have to say, like his best. Yeah, in my opinion, um, Mrs. Doubtfire. And I, I, I've always going to love Flubber. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know, I just always will. And <laughs> Jumanji as well. And, yes, yes. But, okay, so... I'm going on tangents here. I apologize. No, I'm but, sorry. I distracted. No, it's good. It's good. The duality of Robin Williams is a great. This example. is the magic of podcasting, <laughs> and like you could, you could take someone who literally entertained millions, if not billions, of people, always seemed so happy, and then tragically took his own life because he was not happy himself. So it it begets the theory that people are like icebergs. You see on the surface 5% of what actually is the substance that makes that person up. And underneath the surface, you don't know if they had a, had a, an argument with a spouse, had a right. shit day at work, whatever. Right. So that's why I'm a firm believer in treat everyone with respect. And if you can make someone laugh and be the difference, be proactive. Do what yeah. Chelsea's doing. Start a project that you want to do and try and help people. I'm doing this to make a smile on people's faces. Like if you have that desire to want to do something, then do it. Because life is too short and you could ultimately come to a, a grinding halt when you least expect it. And no no one of your loved ones wants to see that. They would rather see you go through your hardest days than not see you yeah. all. Yeah, 100%. And it, it's uh, it's interesting when we talk about Robin. I was just watching Aladdin with my little guy the other day. and I hope um, it was the original. Yeah, well, of course. I only watched the Robin Williams version. I'm there sorry. There you go. There you go. <laughs> But um, yeah, he was a maniac. He had a lot of addictions, actually. And um, he was he was addicted to cocaine for some time. He was deep into alcoholism. And, um, you know, he was very close to his mother, actually, growing up. And he was always an entertainer from a very young age. He used to put on little character shows for his mom, who thought that he was very funny and encouraged him a lot. And um, so it's interesting. You can come from a supportive background. You can have wonderful parents and and be surrounded by loved ones. And still, there's just something that happens. Often it's deep rooted in your childhood somewhere. And this is how you cope. This is how you grasp with it. Or you notice that you get more laughs when you're loaded 
And that becomes addicting. It can. Because if you, yeah, when people think you're funny, oh my God, the high that comes from that. It's, um, it's, yeah. I, I get, um, I get a buzz from seeing so. So, you know, smiling is very infectious. And I, yeah, pardon me, for lack of a better word, enjoy entertaining. Um, and if I can, you know, speak to someone and get a giggle out of you, then I'm like, okay, cool. So the idea of honesty is that, sorry, about humor is that if you laugh at something, you feel superior to it. That's the science behind it. Mm. So if I told you a story, say if I, you know, I was with a girl one night and, you know, I left the apartment building early hours of the morning feeling ashamed, <laughs> you wouldn't, I would turn around and say, I didn't do the walk of shame. I did the stride of pride and my butt looked amazing coming out of those doors. I'll tell you. <laughs> So you, so you take something so easy, change a few words, and uh, and then on my way out, I tripped on the gutter. But anyways, it doesn't matter. It was amazing. <laughs> if you can, if you can um, understand humor and comedy for what it is, then if you can make someone feel superior, make them feel awesome, then I think Robin Williams was a master of doing that. He was a master of imagery, just as you are, my friend. I, I Please, often oh, find myself. I've, I've never had anyone compare me to Robin Williams, but um, <laughs> that's like the best compliment ever. I mean, I'm short oh, and hairy listen. like he was. So that's about the only similarity. I find myself chuckling. I listen to your show often and from the very first episode. I'm, I'm very, I read a lot and I'm very big on imagery. And if you can make me laugh out loud um, with something that you say or something that you write, I, I consider myself a fan. So you have that in me for sure. And um, just one more thing that, that I wanted to say um, before we start um, to wrap up, you touched on something earlier, particularly in the Muslim community and about being kind. I read something recently online that said, be kind to everyone you cross paths with. You never know if they're going through something that has just changed the rest of their life. Yeah, that's like the, the, um, the iceberg theory, similar. Yes, right. absolutely. Well, well, if you've got to go shortly, then why don't we? Why don't we quickly? You know, every week, got to stay consistent. Oh, bitchy with Mitchie. Every so yes, every week, every week we have a winch wine sook, and um, you know what? You know what the idea is, but I'll I'll say it again. The idea is to get something <laughs> off our chest that's been pissing us off. Chelsea, <laughs> would you like to have a bitchy with Mitchie? I would love to have a bitchy with Mitchie. I'm so honored. All right, what's on your um, mind? What's, what's been <laughs> grinding your gears? One thing that, that just pisses me off, Mitch. Oh, straight out. Oh, <laughs> talk dirty to me. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, bad driving. Bad driving here in New York. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So driving. every week, just about every week, someone talks about bad driving. But the Big I Apple... <laughs> Oh, fuck that. <laughs> See, so I don't drive. I'm about a half an hour north of the city. So thankfully, okay. I don't drive in the city too often. Even better. However, I do drive on wide, we call them parkways here, just really wide expanses of road. Three lanes. People should know what they're doing by now. It's not that hard. Green lights mean go. Don't make me wait behind you. Don't make me honk at you. I will get out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> But more so than bad driving is just mean people. Mean people suck. I can't stand it. Um, you know, when you're in the grocery store and you see an elderly person behind you whose cart is just, you know, maybe they only have a couple of things or they're struggling to carry it. Let them go in front of you. Don't hold them up. You know, don't yell at other people who are, you know, maybe on the road next to you and just trying to cut in line so that they can make their exit. Maybe they don't know where they're going. Maybe someone's injured and they just need to get there a little bit faster. Just kindness, people. Kindness. If the year, the past year that we've had has taught us nothing, be gentle, be easy. You just don't know what someone's going through. Let it happen. <laughs> take a deep breath and fucking deal with it. I'm sorry. Let's I'm put on our big girl or a big boy pants and get on with life. It does. It takes so much less effort to be nice to someone than it does to be a pain in the ass. Yeah, this and is that true. is my spiel. This is true. <laughs> I just, I, I went off on a different moment. I, I'm pretty easy. And I'm like, you know, that's, I use that when I apply it on Tinder as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm gentle easy, and easy. <laughs> I'm like, and my butt looks great in the morning. Oof, I'm like instant noodles, just add water and I'm anyone's. Woof. I love it. <laughs> 
30 seconds. Here we go. <laughs> oh, if I have a spare 10 minutes, it's at least nine minutes, 40 of cuddling. <laughs> so Mitch, thanks for letting me do my bitchy with Mitchie. The New York and me came out a little bit there. Sorry. Sorry, guys. No, oh, you, oh, you're Australian. I'm Australian. You, you, you can't offend me. Okay. My bitchy with Mitchie. I'll have a quick one today. It's the settings of my toaster. You'd think that one, two, three, four, five would be the amount of minutes in the toaster. I timed it. No, it's not right. It's the amount of like from one to how angry I want to fucking get at this thing. Are you like, serious? You would, you would think that an $8 toaster would give me the exact, exact cook to bread ratio that I'd ever have. Please. Like I, I said, I put it on setting three. I started my timer. It took three minutes, 32 seconds to come out of there. And it was, du- it was more burnt than I wanted. So not only did I have to eat burnt toast, I was sad. Oh, no. So it's a first world problem. $8 not well spent. And um, (laughs) I ended up eating half of it and made myself a fresh peanut butter sandwich. Moral of the story is, fuck you, toast. (laughs) You're getting thrown across the room. That's um, not fair. I'm sorry, man. Fuck, I'm stupid. I've got a spare toaster. In storage, I could just go get it, but it cost me eight bucks. You're gonna have to run out and grab that. And so, between your toilet brush and your toaster, oh. what's what's happening? Um, <laughs> oh, this, these you are need the... help with household. You really you need a girlfriend because you need help with your household appliances. <laughs> sure. Well, if you know someone, send it down this way because apparently, from putting heat to bread and cleaning up after i do a poo Mitch needs help, guys. <laughs> so I mean... step one is putting food into the body i'm having trouble getting it out of the body <laughs> oh god <laughs> out of body experiences i hope that's not what you're using your toilet brush for that, that's not the intended use Mitch. i'm sorry well, it's it cost me 19 dollars, so i'm going to get the most out of that bad boy <laughs> i'm going to be squeaky clean ladies Oof, cleanest Very wipes nice. this side of america <laughs> Mitch, thanks so much for letting me come on and and spill my guts and talk to you today. It's been such a pleasure. I so appreciate it. I like it. how it's my podcast, yet you're wrapping it up. That's fantastic. That's so- <laughs> fantastic. I'm to be <laughs> so this is episode 33 of Life to Chelsea. <laughs> no, fair enough. So what I wanted to say is thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, fucking hell. That is great. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, I was trying to I was trying to be a good guest. You know, they say no when to leave the party before you embarrass yourself. I guess it's a little late for that now. Just uh, <laughs> that fantastic guest. So, okay. If people want to find your podcast, where can they find you? What's it called? I'll put the correct spelling in the bio underneath. Yes, because the spelling is tricky. So it is the Sticky Eddie podcast. Sticky is S-T-I-I-C-K-Y Eddie E-D-D-I-E podcast. You can email me at stickyeddiepodcast at gmail.com. The show itself right now can be found on Spotify. You can also find it on iHeartRadio, radio.com. I want to say that it's up on Google Podcasts as well. I do have a Libsyn website and you can find the link for that in my Instagram bio. I am at Chelsea Runs Around on Instagram. I hope to be up on Apple Podcasts soon. I am not sure what is taking so long there, um, but I am working on it, guys. <laughs> Bear with me. I thank you for your patience in advance. If I can do um, it, you can. I'm up there. So yeah, and it's it's just the struggle is real with Apple Podcasts. But once I am up, I would love it if you left me a five star review. Be kind. Uh, it helps other people find the show that are looking for addiction related content and, and mental health awareness and things like that. I too would like if you left Chelsea a five star review and me if you want to. Ah, oh, be fantastic, thank you, sir. Indubitably. <laughs> So uh, from, from the rest of us here at Life's of Itch Podcast, thank you for coming on episode 34. Goodbye. Can you do animal? No. Uh. I, I can go out on a Beavis and Butthead, though. Check it out, butthead. What is it, Beavis? Oh, closing credits. Episode 34. So thank you, Chelsea. You've been a 
tremendously uh, amazing guest through this. You know, you, you, you got a community behind you. We will help you, you not only honor the legacy of Eddie, but we will help you get through these difficult times and through the power of healing, through the power of podcasting and through the power of Mitch. You got this. <laughs> Thank you. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Mish. It's been an honor. I, I appreciate you having me. You're amazing. And I'm so glad that our paths crossed. <laughs> so that's episode 34 of Life to Chelsea. Thanks, guys. And I'll catch you on the next one. <laughs> See you. Bye.